Parashat Vayera is on page 78. It's Perek Yod Chet, it begins on. Parashat Vayera continues us in, there's extra ones, okay. Parashat Vayera continues us in the life of Avraham. It is some of the famous stories at the end of the parasha, the Akedah, the beginning of the parasha, um, his greeting of those three angels whom he thinks are human beings, at least initially. So Parashat Vayera fills out the life of Avraham. I'd like to, over the course of a few minutes, together with you, bring forth just one aspect that maybe it's overlooked or maybe it's just not talked about enough, at least in my opinion, in the life and the definition of the character of who Avraham truly was. So in the past, we've talked about Avraham as being this individual who's able to see outside of himself. He's a person who in turn discovers the true God and understands people as well. But I've recently appreciated uh, another side of his personality, not at all conflicting with those sides and that definition of who he was, but uh, maybe only accentuating it, making it deeper. And it uh, begins at the very beginning. First three words in the parasha, Vayera elav Adonai. Those first three words are mysterious. I'll tell you why. They mean that God appeared to Avraham. And uh, if you continue reading, there's no conversation between God and Avraham. It's instead, uh, Instead, it goes on to describe the context. He's sitting at the entrance to the tent. It's hot outside. Sees three people from the distance and goes to run to them. But what happened to the conversation or the appearance of God to him? So... uh, Harambam, who might have the most simple interpretation to this, suggests that those first three words are really just a heading. It's a heading that this is all prophecy. In other words, contrary to maybe the way we've always understood this as actually quote-unquote taking place, for Rambam in his Moren Nebuchim says that's never happened. It never happened in real time. It happened in a dream. It happened in prophecy. As much as it appeals to those first three words, God appeared to him. What happened to God? Well, uh, Nothing. It was all God. It was all an appearance. And at the same time, for other reasons, it's not so settling in terms of understanding what's taking place over here and understanding it instead entirely as an intellectual exercise of Avraham. Alternatively, Rashi understands this segment as literal, and God appears to him. And then in the third pasuk, when it says, Vayomar, that's Avraham turning to God and saying to him, God, could you hold on a minute? I want to tend to these people, which in and of itself is frightening as well. Imagine turning to God and saying, could you hold on? I want to deal with people. There's a lot of lessons inherent in such a description as well, understanding our relationship with God through and by means of our mission with human beings as well. But I'd like to suggest, maybe it's not peshat per se, the simple interpretation, But it certainly intrigues me to think about it in this way, a different interpretation. And it goes like this. This segment, according to the rabbis, based on the proximity in the Torah, took place after God and Avraham had drawn closer to one another. The end of Parashat Lech Lecha described to us the Berit Milav Avraham. And in turn, this comes right afterwards. Rashi, as a matter of fact, says this took place on the third day after his Milav. It's a little bit aided in the text, even, because Pasuk says, Vayera Elav, Pasuk says, and he appeared to him. To who? I mean, if you're telling a story, I'm no English teacher, Beatrice, but I do understand nonetheless that you need to have certain um, actual descriptions of who you're talking about. Starting a story by saying, and he appeared to him, a very difficult story. It's not going to sell at all. It's just going to be confusing. Unless 
Right? You were beforehand talking about God and Avraham, and then there was an appearance of him to him. It means it's a continuation. The reason I mention that is to suggest that this, after the covenant, the Berit Milah was forged between Avraham and God, effectively their relationship moved into a new dimension. It grew in terms of its strength and significance. And what I mean by that is, and I can only speak on behalf of my own experiences, but I can tell you the people I feel most comfortable with, the people I feel are closest to me in my life, are the people, ironically, I don't need to be speaking with or having a constructive conversation with in order to appreciate their presence. So maybe Avraham had just drawn closer God to him and he to God, and in turn, the first words in this week's parasha, and looking at it through the prism of the rabbis, in greeting him, as visiting him, as he's, as he's healing from the Berit Milah, God just comes and is there. In other words, the parasha read through that lens begins with just being present in the physical sense for others, just being there in real time, not sending a message, not wishing greetings from afar, not even sending assistance or anything of that sort, being there, showing up. God shows up, and oftentimes, especially when the person knows that you care for them, that's all that's necessary. That can speak so much louder than words. It means potentially the parasha begins, at least if we're reading it creatively as I am, by describing just showing up and the necessity, or maybe even more than that, maybe the love that's outpoured by just showing up and being there in person, or as it were, God being there in reality. But the Pesukim have another reference I'd like to, but I, that's, that's the theme of the class then. It's just about Avraham's ability to learn from God, I think, to show up. That's it. That's really, I see that in the life of Avraham through and through. And it's a little, you know, it looks like a nuanced type of frill issue. I, I see it as anything but that. I think Avraham... Listen, I, I remember when my, one of my grandparents, one of my grandfathers passed away, and my mother spoke at, uh, at I think, the Shiloshim. My mother said that what she remembers most about her father is so much, but most, is how he was always there. He just was there when they had graduations and when every Sunday they went ice skating and so on and so forth. It was just about him being present. It wasn't per se him being a man of words. He wasn't such a man of words. It wasn't even his profound thought, although he had a depth to him. It was just that he was present. And she felt that he always showed up and he was consistent in that. And she always knew he would be there. I think that's the Avraham. His name happened to have been Avraham. I think it's the Avraham personality as well in many ways. Uh, the parasha in, in the first pasu continues and it says again, Vayera elav Adonai mamre vehu yoshev peta ha'ohel kehom hayom. So the pasuk describes this famous scene of Avraham sitting at the entrance to the tent. There's a well-known comment of Rashi on those words, vehu yoshev, which I'd like to for a moment pay attention to and try to understand their depth. Because the word is vehu yoshev. Yoshev means to sit, and it's written yod shin bet without a vav in it. I've mentioned this in the past. If it was written with a vav, yod vav shin bet, it's easy to read it. Without nekudot, you know, that's yoshev. When it's written without the vav, it could be read as yashav, sat in the past tense, or yoshev, sitting in the present tense. 
fact that it's written without the Vav, in the eyes of the rabbis, Rashi picks up on this, is triggering a certain thought as to what took place. So they tell the following funny thing. Rashi describes the following. He says, Avraham wanted to stand up. This is the vision of the rabbis in this. But God, seeing that he wants to stand up for him as he appears to him, says to him, sit down. So far, so good. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I want to honor you, and you just tell me to sit down. Then Rashi doesn't suffice with that. He says that he teaches Avraham from you, from this circumstance, future generations will learn a law. A law. What's the law? That in court, when judges in a Jewish court are dealing with litigants with the case in front of them, they sit. Why would you have thought any differently? Well, we have a tradition. Elohim nitzav ba'adat el, bekerev Elohim yishpot. God is present as judges in Judaism are doing their job. And in turn, you might think that you should be standing up. No, Avraham, from this, future judges will learn that they can sit down during judgment. It's a beautiful, nice idea. It's actually brought in the Gemara in a halachic sense. The only difficulty I have is, is a very basic one. What at all does this have to do with judgment? It's a nice lesson. Maybe we sit in synagogue, we sit when we study Torah, something of that sort. What does it have to do with judgment? Again, the parasha begins with God visiting Avraham when he's sick. As Rashi, the rabbis learn a lesson from this about sitting down. Avraham wanted to stand. God told him to sit. When you're a judge, you sit down. What does it have to do with being a judge? How is this in any way connected to judgment or mishpat or shofetim or a court system. So I think that that's the question I'd like to for a moment address and string you along a little bit. So that's, it means that the first words of Rashi in the parasha kind of open our eyes to something about judgment here. The truth is, if you keep reading in the parasha, there is the judge pasuk. What do I mean by that? It's the moment later on, on page 81, pasuk yotet, the top of page 82, um, it's when Avraham is about to be told by God what God is going to do to Sidon. And the Pasuk says, Am I going to conceal from Avraham that I plan on destroying Sidon? After all, I need to tell him, right? I need to tell Avraham what I'm about to do to Sidon because Avraham has and will instruct future generations to follow the laws of justice and righteousness. Well, that's interesting. It means that everything from the beginning in the eyes of Rashi began as, I'm teaching Avraham how to be a righteous person. So they're sitting at the tent, Avraham is, and God, through the lenses of Rashi, says, let me go teach him how to be a judge. Let me bring him along on my journey of being a righteous being. He'll learn from me. I'm about to destroy Sodom. I have to tell Avraham about it. He is the paradigm of justice and righteousness. All right, so now I think I connected again. The beginning of the parashah means that you should read this through. Avraham sitting down, that presence of God with him, knowing that he's there with you, being showing up in that respect, is now continued over here. Well, what does it have to do with my message? It has to do in the next way. God, here's, here's the scene, we'll make it this worldly. As, uh, I have a child, and my child wants to be a rabbi. 
So I'm going to deal with lo'alein or shiva. So I said, I'm not going to bring any of my children. Haram, obviously, I'll keep them out of this. And I'm like, but wait a second, he wants to be a rabbi. So I said, come along with me. So that's, that's the circumstance. Now, what's he coming along for? Obviously, to console the, mor- the mourners. But more than that, to learn what's done at a shiva, as a rabbi, so to speak. right? Or I'm going to bring him to, again, I'm, I'm making this up. I'm not, I'm not there yet, so don't, don't judge me if this is ridiculous. It wasn't done for me. I'll bring him to a funeral, right? Why would you bring a child to a funeral? Oh, but he's going to be a rabbi. He's got to know what to do. He's got to know what it looks like. He can't be... I was very much caught off guard just by the, by the way. First funeral I was at in 67th Street was not as a, a lay person. It was as, as a rabbi. So I had no idea what to expect. Just That's why I mentioned this all autobiographically. But anyway, I, I have no, I don't think my father did it wrong. Um, but I, 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 but that's, that's the scene. So in other words, when he comes there, the next stage is to show him what, what I do and apply it to any other profession and any other circumstance situation. What is it that God wants him to learn? Well, listen to the next pasuk, pasuk kaf. God exclaims to Abraham, now again, this is me turning to my child and saying, you see what I'm about to do? I'm teaching you what it means to be a, well over here, a judge, a righteous person. You know, it's really loud up here from those screams in Sedom and Amorah. Now, God's not actually hearing the screams of Sedom and Amorah. He knows what's going on. But he's speaking in the terminology of Avraham. You know what I'm saying, Avraham? There's a lot of crazy stuff going on there. I hear people crying and screaming from all the atrocities and terrible deeds that are being done. And their sins, in turn, are really heavy. Okay, so I'm bringing you in, teaching you what I'm doing as a judge. I heard it. Listen carefully, Avraham. I'm going to go down and see I will descend, quote unquote, says God, to see what's happening in Sedom to determine what's going to happen in turn with my judgment. Says Rashi, on this pasuk, we learn from this that judges shouldn't judge based on hearing, they should instead see it. Do you get the point, though, in the life of Avraham? Avraham's being taught hands-on from God. Don't just listen. We've talked so much in the past about the art and the skill of listening. To listen means to be attuned to the calls of others. To listen means that I might be distant, but I could still understand what's going on. But if you want to forge a relationship, not an understanding, not a sensitivity in yourself, that's listening. But seeing, being in close proximity, being right next to it, that's how you're a judge. That's how you act like someone who walks, as God says, on derech Adonai, on the path of God. Show up. Be there. You're going to involve yourself in this case. You're going to be aiding and helping the unfortunate. You want to get involved more? Show up. Be there. You're going to make mistakes otherwise. But more than that, you're not actually going to be a part of it if you're not there. Certainly, because otherwise you'll make mistakes. Fundamentally, I think you're right. Beyond that, though, if you're really going to be invested, because the fact that we learned that as well, come on, of course that's the law, right? If you're not going to have all the facts, obviously, I think it's more than that. I think you need to actually have your hands dirty with this case to actually know what to do. You need to be invested in it. You're invested in it and actually being there. 
Um, I, I think that this lesson and this description of Avraham as a person who embodies Tzedakah and Mishpat, who embodies this message of God, of Eredana ve'ere, going down and seeing, therefore, with that vantage point, it just pops up throughout the parasha. If you'll turn backwards again to the beginning of the parasha, so on the bottom of page 78, back with the angels in the tent of Avraham, greeting them, making food for them, there's so much description. There's like uh, an abundancy of, of, of details. Uh, the Pesukim describe how uh, Avraham greets them. He tells them to wash their feet and to take a nap. And I'm going to go and take some bread. You'll eat and then you can keep going. After all, that's why you're here. Pasuk says, Avraham goes quickly into the tent, speaks to Sarah. He says to her, Mahari Make lots of goat, make lots of cakes, make certain that they satiate themselves, they eat a lot. He runs to the cattle and he grabs a cattle or chooses one and gives it to someone to prepare. There's a lot of description, a lot of details over here. On that last pasuk, the Ve'il Habakar Ratz Avraham, Happens to be, I was uh, familiar with it. I was, I was preparing. I was using this homash. It cites from Ramban. So this article quotes from Ramban. Listen to you could read it there. We don't need the commentary inside. You see number seven in the article on page seventy nine. Quotes from Ram, Ramban emphasize how this portrays Avraham's great desire to show, desire to show hospitality. Though he had many servants eager to serve him, and he was old and weak from his circumcision, he ran personally to choose the animals for the meat. Avraham was invested. Avraham was personally, physically invested. He didn't just send messengers. He didn't just pick up the tab. He was literally involved with this. We had it in last week's parasha as well. I called attention to this last week on my own. I actually even mentioned it on Friday night. So it was a novelty for me. I never noticed this. Avraham, we talked briefly, I think, about this last week. Avraham is told that his nephew Lot has been taken captive in Sidon. It's the first act of Avraham, which is ironic as well. We always think of the first act of Avraham as greeting and bringing guests into his home. Listen to what it is. It's getting out of his home, going to find the captive Lot. That's very telling. It's about getting out of your comfort zone. That's the act of Chesed that starts Avraham's career. But beyond that, he finds out that his nephew was taken captive. Pasuk says, He grabs and gathers together quickly the people who are together with him. And the Pasuk then says that he enters in He enters in at night into this fight and the captivity of Lot in this world war, he and his slaves. He and, Pasuk says 318 people, which is nothing short of crazy as well. He's in the middle of a world war with 318 people. Regardless, the Pasuk though calls out the fact that he did it. He was there. He didn't just send his people. Forget about his old age, which he was. Forget about him being a really important person, which he was. He didn't need to necessarily be there, but he couldn't not be. 
In fact, I, I quoted on Friday night that the Midrash says that the same way that he went in, at night, Pasuk calls out the fact that he does it at night, so too, Kivyachol, God says, I redeem and will redeem you guys, the descendants, at night. Because Pasuk says, it's in the middle of night that Makat uh, Bechoro takes place, uh, so to speak. Because of Avraham's action, we got Yitziat Mitzrayim. What's the connection? I suggest it again. What do we say all the time about Yitziat Mitzrayim? What do we say on Leil Seder? We say God's greatness in that moment was he did it. Ani velo malach. He was involved. He did it. No one else. Not any other being. He didn't send the messenger. He was invested. It's a description of Avraham. You did this personally because that's what you knew needs to be done. Even though it could have been done differently. So too, I'm invested in this. This is a relationship. I show up. I, and I've mentioned more than once. I, I'm a little old school in this respect. Uh, maybe we all are. Maybe we all are. Maybe, maybe just our children aren't. Um, a little old school in this respect. I can't and don't appreciate text messages at all. Uh, so if I call my child and ask them to tell me something and they text me back, it's meaningless for me. Now, I know it should be a little meaningless. It's meaningless. But, oh, I forget about me seeing you. I don't need that. At least call me. Let me hear your voice. Showing up, that presence, and being there, being a part of it, I think it's very... I learned this lesson. Back to my mom lessons. I learned this lesson from my mother the first year I was married. It's a little different, but it's the same idea. Um, we were writing a card for Mother's Day. If we missed that one. But I almost, was, I almost nonetheless lost my life because instead of me writing it, I sat as, and she has a much better handwriting than me, as Ahava wrote it. And we, we decided together what was going to be written. Gave it to my mother, and my mother had a, was not happy. I said, what's the matter? She said, you didn't write this. I said, but it's all my words together with Ahava's. I said, but it's not your handwriting, and I know it's not you. You couldn't just say, I said, she has a better handwriting. But it's not you. There's a lot to be said for that. And I know it, it, it is funny. And in the aftermath, it was, it's funny, but she was really not happy. And she was deservedly so. I, I was deservedly so. I, I think it's a lesson that Avraham teaches us through and through, down to, well, for all intents and purposes, the end of his biblical career at the end of the parasha with Akedat Yitzhak. This is the place where Rashi calls our attention to it. It's on page 100. It's the very end of the parasha. When God commands Avraham to take his son Yitzhak to Eretz Moriah. That's a story we're all familiar with. A little jarring. It's cute. This Shabbat is my son's bar mitzvah parasha. He's reading the whole sefer. I'm very proud of him. Up until this. And then his name's Yitzhak. My name's Abraham. Then Abraham's... I'm taking over and reading the Akedah. Isn't that cute? Anyway, so here on page 100, I'm, I'm proud of that one. Um, page 100, so the Pasuk describes what Avraham does, his reaction to God's command in Pasuk Gimel, toward the end of the page here in the words. Vayashkem Avraham Baboker, so he wakes up in the morning. Vayahavoshet Hamoro, again, superfluous, unnecessary to tell me that he saddles his donkey. I got it. I mean, uh, he brings his donkey along with him and he's going to go. What's with those details? So Rashi, uh, it's about on the left-hand column, uh, two, four, six lines up on the left-hand column, the two words before the end of the line. I just want to read this one together. Vayahavosh, writes Rashi, hu be'atzmo. The significance of these words is to tell you he did this himself. He doesn't instruct one of his slaves. 
famous words of the rabbis, because love has a way of skewing a straight line. The more logical thing would have been for him to conserve his energies and have someone else saddle the donkey. He's not a young man. He's got a lot of other important things to do. But there's a love here. There's a passion. I have to do this myself. I have to be involved in this. I have to literally, with my own hands, with my own words, be involved and do this. That's Avraham from beginning until end, at least in my understanding of this. Uh, I will mention, you know, I read some time ago in the biography of one of a rabbi who inspired me very much. His name was Rabbi Nassim Svi Finkel. He was the Rosh Yeshiva of Mir Yeshiva. I've mentioned him more than once. Um, so in the biography written by Chanoch Teller, Rabbi Chanoch Teller, he tells the following story. It's, it's brief, but it's, to me, it's very telling. I mean, listen, when I was in the Yeshiva, he was already older, but I think he, he had Parkinson's for a long time, so I think he always appeared old and fragile, this rabbi. But it was in the early 90s, and Saddam Hussein, I mean, it's scary um, you know, to mention this sort of story in this context, but Saddam Hussein was threatening and ultimately speaking was potentially sending Scud missiles from Iraq into Israel. This was the Gulf War time. And uh, the yeshiva, he was in Mir Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Uh, they had many uh, single men and, uh, and, and boys and they had a whole drill and you had gas masks. A few weeks ago Rabbi Joey Mizrahi talked about how when he was in Israel at the time about the whole drill with the gas. Uh, it's a frightening thing and you had to seal the window etc. Anyways, I'm sure they taught the yeshiva boys how to do this, and it was the first time that the, the siren went off, and there was 15 minutes into it, a knock at the door of where, you know, the main dormitory area at the time or something like that, and they said, who's there? You know the drill already, you're not allowed to be outside, and he said, it's me, Nelson Svi. They said, who is it? I mean, this is the story. I'm, I've, I read it two more times, and other, I mean, maybe they're all repeating the, the legend, but I believe this story. He said, it's me, and they thought he was joking. This is not a time for a joke. He opens up the door, and he's, Rosh Hashiva, and you know, invites him in. He said, I couldn't be apart from this. Now, I'm certain he did it in a safe way. That he, that's the part that got me nervous. It's 15 minutes in, it means he was traveling while there was potential danger. I'm sure he did it safely, but he couldn't not be there together with them. I'm sure he brought his family as well and all that sort of, but I'm saying, but the lesson of the story, I think, is so, for me, powerful. He couldn't have it just as instructions. He couldn't have it just as, I'll call them and give them inspiration. He had to be there with them. Ha'ahava, I speak very autobiographically now, in telling you, for some time, even before the current war, for some time I've felt that living in Israel, I have two sisters who live in Israel, is to a certain extent forging the future of Jewish life and existence. I feel like that's where the real action's happening. I, hope I feel like we're aiding from America and we're doing as much as we can to stay afloat and to grow and to pro progress and to prosper. But ultimately speaking, when push comes to shove, many of us say it in moments of exasperation and realize it at other times, a lot of our future probably does rest there and it means they're forging and continuing what's been going on for some, I've felt a little depressed about, especially because when we first got married, we thought about living there, and it was my plan. We were just going to settle down here a little bit, and ultimately speaking, make it there. So I'll put it on myself that we're not living there. But anyway, I felt that I feel it a lot more now, as much support as we can and do provide financially, and even visiting and giving physical, not being a part of it for me. 
feels to a certain extent deficient. It's not inspiration for us now to enlist in the army or to travel to Israel. It's not, I promise. It's not two weeks in a row. It is alternatively to, to learn that sort of lesson in our own lives and the things that we are engaged in. So we might not be on the front lines there, but are we on the front lines in the things that we are engaged in? Are the things that are important to us, the time with family, even the study of Torah um, and tefillah and things of, uh, and chesed, are we just supporting chesed organizations? Are we just uh, teaching our children to do so? Or are we involved? Are we engaged in it? There's a lot to be said, and I think Avraham through his life is reminding us of this. There's a lot to be said for true love, emotions being outpoured without words, even without actions, by just showing up. In truth, and I'll to a certain extent conclude with this, I think you learn this lesson again from a story of contrast in this week's parasha. Because there's not only one sending, potential sending away of a child at the very end, the one that ends really nicely, Akedat Yitzhak. Right before that, there's the potential loss of another child of Avraham, that's Yishmael. Listen to how that episode goes down on page 96. I think I did a tour de force of, of Parashat Vayera. I think I brought us through it in order to get this point across. I couldn't, I couldn't read the parasha without seeing this again and again this, week's, this week. So here's the circumstance. Avraham has this woman who he's involved with, married to in some respect, has a child with her name's Hagar, has a child uh, named Ishmael. The moment comes and Sarah sees Ishmael doing something inappropriate, get rid of him, send him away, and together with his mother, Avraham's not uh, settled with that sentiment, doesn't like that idea. God tells him, as I guess we should all know, listen to your wife, that's the right thing to do. And he does so. And the Pasuk describes Avraham's actions. Avraham, first and foremost, now, it might be the same lesson. Pasuk Yodalit, Vayashkem Avraham Baboker. It's the other time he wakes up in the morning, just like at the Akayadah. He personally gives her food and provisions for the way. Maybe a similar lesson, but I mention the contrast because of the following. They travel, Hagar and Yishmael, out of sight, out of mind. They're no longer on the scene. And the water runs dry. What does Hagar do now? She is certain, the Pasuk will tell us, that her son is going to die. They don't have water. He's dehydrated. It's over. Says the Pasuk in Pasuk Tetva, the water runs out, they're in a desert, arid area. She takes the child, I think is even a forceful word, she throws the child into the shrubbery on the side. This is her son. Now she has a rationale. Because she said, Al Ere I can't see the death of my child. One second. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard emotionally. But do you understand what you're doing over here? You are emotionally disconnecting from your child. It seems to me at least a little selfish. It's selfish when instead of showing up, we send something and send message and make certain that it happens so we don't need to engage ourselves. This one would be an even bigger sacrifice. Not just showing up, but holding on to her child as he dies, but she therefore makes the decision, I can't and won't, throws him to the side 
so that she doesn't see him. The sight which we saw by God in seeing what's going on is what she won't do. She can't see. She can't be involved. She won't show up and be, I know there's nothing she can do per se, but can't she be there with him until his last breaths? Can't she be involved with him? No, but it's painful. It's painful, but it's meaningful, is it not? How can you not be there with him in this moment? I think she gets lucky that she cries afterwards. I think, maybe this is just me speaking, I think her cries and her son's cries, again, this is conjecture, would have been even stronger had they been embracing one another and crying. Do you know what I'm saying? And ultimately speaking, by the way, it's Kishama Elohim Elkol Hashem. It's the child, it's not even her. That is the contrast to the Avraham we've known throughout and certainly the Avraham of the Akedah. Let me tell you about the Akedah. We've said it so many times in different contexts, but let me tell you the way the Akedah works. It's the next chapter. The Pasuk describes how Avraham is walking. It's the third day. And he looks. There is looking at the Akedah. And later on, he raises his eyes and he sees an Ayalah has a ram that's going to take the place of Yitzhak. He's very present, he's very there, he's looking, he's not just listening, he's not distancing, he's right there in the middle of it, through and through, to the extent that he names the place, something about God appearing or God being seen, Abraham is there, he's seeing, he's doing hands-on, not from a distance listening, not throwing and I can't see the death of the child, being involved as painful as it is, as uncomfortable, as disconcerting as it is to his life and all that he wants to do and she wants to do, uh, she, Hagar, decides that she won't be a part of it. Lucky, lucky for the cries, Avraham alternatively will not distance at any point. Avraham through and through from the very beginning of the parasha, Vayera elav Adonai, God's presence, so to speak, to Avraham, as I understand it in this context, teaching him a lesson. Show up. Just be there for him. What could she have done for her child? She could have done the same thing God did for Abraham at the beginning of the parasha. Just be there. Uh, be involved. Do something. Add a hand. Uh, for what reason? I'm an old man. I'm involved with a lot of ha'ahava, the famous words of the rabbis. Love will have a way of skewing the straight line because it's not straight, because it doesn't make sense. Why should I pain myself? Why should I inconvenience myself? But I think the lesson of Avraham through and through in the parasha, from the beginning in the way that he treats the guests, to the lesson that God teaches him as a judge, be involved, get your hands dirty, to the way that he deals with the akedah, to everything in between, to the lesson that he taught us last week, he goes to fight in order to get Lot back. I think the lesson of Avraham is clear to each of us, and we each have our own challenges in this respect. There's the uncomfortable or annoying or just don't want to be involved with situations where we know it's important and we'll support it in one way or another. We'll send someone else. We'll be able to support it financially. We'll be able to support it more, whatever it is. But showing up, being actually involved, I think is the enduring lesson of Avraham from Parashat Vayera. We should all strive for it to enter into those difficult, uncomfortable situations, maybe not so excitedly, but at the very least willingly to get our hands, so to speak, uh, dirty, to be able to see and not only listen from afar.